Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco, and I have to be honest with you, I am incredibly proud of today's episode. Uh, before I jump into, you know, I, I had a very special guest, but before we jump into that, I would like to say that I originally had a special review episode planned for this week. Uh, but the opportunity opportunity came up to talk to this uh, next individual, and I, you know, I had to switch things around because I was just so jacked up and excited to uh, bring it to you. So the original episode planned for this week is going to be coming out next week. I mean, obviously, if a whole bunch more happens, then maybe I'll have to do two episodes because that episode is just sitting there waiting to be released. But nonetheless, this week's episode. I was lucky enough to be joined by the one and only Ravenous Randy Myers. Now, Randy Myers, as you will hear in the interview, he has wrestled all across Canada. He's the current Defy World Champion uh, out in the West Coast. And honestly, he was very insightful. He had a lot of incredible things to say. And just his outlook, his the way he sees the business, and you know what, he... Honestly, he's just an incredible person. So we're going to jump right into it this week on the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, Ravenous Randy Myers. Today, I have a very special guest. Joining me on the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast is none other than Ravenous Randy Myers. Randy, how is it going? I'm doing fantastic, darling. Thank you so much for having me on your show. No you know what? I'm very excited to have you. I was super, like I, I'd mentioned before, I was jacked up, ready to talk to you because, I mean, just reading and finding out more about you, it's, I was just, I was drawn to what you have to say and I couldn't wait to bring you onto the show and hear what you have my listeners be able to hear that too. So Wonderful. Well, hello, new listeners. <laughs> so let's jump right into things because... I'm, you know, I'm excited about this. So you sure. grew up in Calgary, correct? Indeed, yeah. So growing up in Calgary, Stampede Wrestling has always been a big part of Calgary's wrestling history. Was that, were you uh, exposed to that at all? Or what was your sort of wrestling exposure growing up? So growing up, I was raised by my single mother. Uh, my father and her split when I was very young. Um, so she kind of wasn't, overly leading me down the roads of like things that were very masculine, you know what I mean? Or full of mm -hmm. testosterone. So I wasn't necessarily turned on to wrestling in the home early, but then I, my first memory of it was going to a friend's house for like an eighth birthday party or something like that. And then we watched pretty sure it was a, a survivor series and we pu pushed the couches together. And next <laughs> thing I know we were wrestling and that was like my very first memory of professional wrestling. So it wasn't so much being part of Calgary that had, to do with that it was just being around kids in the late 80s you know what i mean watching wrestling mm -hmm. and you know what back in the late 80s it was that was the the big thing was wwf you know the magazines and like you could go to a store and there's seven or eight different things to choose from so totally, yeah there was all those offshoot bootleg magazines and yeah it was awesome at that time so 
that was your first experience to wrestling. And I know that your first, before you started training, you had a very, a different sort of exposure into wrestling because of the first camp you went to. And I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, Stampede Wrestling restarted in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, that was like their last resurgence. And then at that time I started going to like live shows. And as soon as I went to a live show, I was hooked. I was like, this is so cool because it was like, it wasn't the superstars I was seeing on TV that there was like that disconnect between, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Here was people from like my hometown that I was seeing that were like, some people were like close to my age and stuff like that, doing these incredible maneuvers in front of these giant crowds. And so that mm -hmm. was like the thing that sold me. So when that started coming on, I'd go to all the stampede wrestling shows. And at that point they had, it was like live, I was on TV the next day. So I'd go on Friday nights and then the next Saturday morning, I'd watch TV to see you catch me doing something crazy in the audience and watch the fantastic matches all over again. Mm -hmm. But one of the things they were sponsored by was a gym in Calgary called BJ's Gym. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, Teddy Hart's father ran that gym. So it was like the Hart family gym, basically. Okay. Uh, it was in downtown Calgary and Teddy Hart ran a wrestling camp out of there. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, for kids under 18 it was the only professional wrestling camp for children at that age or at that time i think maybe still like it, it, yeah for the, that was going on in the world at that time i think it was the only one that was focused directly on children mm -hmm. uh so i was like well you know what i'm gonna give this a go um so i went down to bj's gym at like 135 pounds and terrified uh but with <laughs> the, like so much excitement and yeah. uh our heart full of passion and then got blown up real quick and then realized <laughs> I had to get in really good shape before I was going to be able to do it. See, it's fantastic that there was something like that at that time for, you know, younger, younger people to like participate in and get an exposure to, because I think now it's, you know, as soon as you're 18, that's when you can do it. But back then it was, you'd never hear about something like that. Well, oh, for sure. And I think that I really needed an outlet like that. I was always an artistic kid. But I needed like a physical outlet. I was never really big into sports or anything like that, but like theater and stuff like that. But I was getting more and more rambunctious as like, you know, hormones were flowing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I was, yeah, I was at a point where I just kind of needed something that would kind of give me some discipline, but mm -hmm. also at the same time, give you a place to be wild. So that wrestling gave me the perfect combination of that, where I needed to like be focused, um, get my attention in one place and like, you know, all my, my ADD focused. And then, um, and then from there be also wild at the same time. So it had both things I needed. Mm -hmm. so I think so, it's important to have, sorry to cut you off, but I think nope. it's really important to have camps for kids like that, to have, you know, outlets. I, I don't know where I would have been if it wasn't for that. Like I was, wasn't necessarily headed down a great path. I'd been kicked out of school a bunch of times. I didn't really know what I was going to do with myself or all this energy I had inside of me. Um, and having an outlet for that really like changed my world. So mm -hmm. yeah, the fact that that was there for me was a, like a life changing moment. Well, I think even now with everything that's going on in the world and kids are so like, because if you can't, you can't go see friends or family, it's so easy just to be able to, okay, I'm just going to play video games or have, uh, you know, be on your iPad or whatever. But to have something like that, even now, just for kids to get out there or younger people to get out and just to sort of unleash some energy and just to experience new things, because it seems like that's almost gone the wayside. So it, I think even now that'd be very important. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And just we see like, I can, I can only speak from my own experience. But like I said, I was just 
part of the reason I was having trouble in school and staying focused was because I had like, like basically, you know, like a nuclear bomb built up inside of me and nowhere to have this energy go. And mm-hmm. when I had an outlet for that energy, then I was able to focus on other things too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is really important. And being physical as like, like I said, I was never into sports. I like got out of phys ed class in school by writing essays and stuff like that. Cause I did not want to do that. Mm-hmm. But then having the wrestling give me the focus to be in my body and kind of get out of my head. And that helped me out so much. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think if I could, if we could have more wrestling camps for kids or places just artistic outlets where you could kind of be wild and let it all hang out. I think that's really important, but in a safe place too. So it's kind of a, yeah. I think a a place where kids know that they'll be accepted and are allowed to express themselves without, you know, judgment or anything, because in today's world, it seems like there's so much of that and so much of focus on things that aren't as important as being who you are and allowing yourself to grow as a person. Exactly. Just that. Yeah. And it really did. Like I grew so much, like it's a cliche thing to say that you walked in as a, as a child and grew out an adult or came out an adult, but I really did learn mm-hmm. so much about that. And I did grow so much within Teddy Hart's pro wrestling camp. And then after that in, in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. How long afterwards did that, uh, did training in the dungeon take place or was it a big gap between or? So basically what happened was shortly after I joined Teddy Hart's camp was the short-lived Matt Rath promotion started. Okay. Which was um, like, it was going to be a promotion focused on everyone was going to be under 25. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be like on Canadian talent with like TJ Wilson and Natalia Neidhart and Harry Smith and uh, Teddy Hart all being like the main stars. But it was also basically Teddy's camp was going to be a feeder system into that show. So that was like the big thing. And we were all like these 17 year old kids. And there was a chance we were going to be on MTV and Eric Bischoff was at these shows and Joey Styles was at these shows and Don Callis was calling our matches and stuff. So it was like these huge things for our, like my very first match was commentated by like Mauro Ronaldo and, and Joey Styles and Don Callis. And like, it was crazy. So we had this big thing happen for us. And then when that didn't pan out, a lot of the kids' hearts were broken. Mm-hmm. So it was like the first chance of like, having something that they always wanted or like, and it came so quick and then it was gone so quick that a lot of people, like I said, had their heart broken. And then the camp wasn't quite the same after the end of closure of Matt rats. So stampede wrestling, like I said, was still rolling along at this point. And I was still going to all those shows and I would bring my bag to every single show and walk up to Bruce Hart and be like, Hey, can you use me on your show? And then he'd say no. And then I'd say, thank you. And I'd go to the <laughs> audience and I did that for, I think, six weeks or it's like six shows which were like every other week and then eventually he was like you know what let's put you on the show tonight so he threw me on um and then i started doing some shows with them getting booked to like do some like uh, like you know some supplementary talent matches mm-hmm. and then um i found out that bruce was quite upset that i wasn't attending dungeon practice and i was like oh I, I, that sounds like an invite to me i had given all my money to like I'd been given some money to go to college, but instead <laughs> I put that into Teddy Hart's pro wrestling camp. And then I didn't have money to pay for the dungeon. And I mm-hmm. knew that that was also going to be like another huge sum of, or like big chunk of money for me at that time. Yeah. Uh, and they were, I never, nothing ever got mentioned. I uh, went to the dungeon. They wanted me to come to practice. I knew other people were paying, not nothing ever got mentioned to me. So I think they took it out of my hide. 
<laughs> I would be like the bump dummy for everybody and taking yeah. all the shops and dungeon was such a like a famous place that people would come in from out of town just to visit it like people from all over the world you know germany or like russia or whatever and they'd come in and just to see what the dungeon's like mm -hmm. bruce would pull them out on the mat and teach them how to do chops and so they'd have somebody who has maybe no interest in ever being a wrestler just interested in being a tourist chopping the hell out of my chest doing it horribly with no form bruce is laughing <laughs> hysterically yeah and you know what i wouldn't change a thing no for sure and yeah. i mean how many people can say that that's how they were introduced to the dungeon, you know? So wow. it's uh, Stampede Wrestling. They had such a storied history in the 80s or even before the 80s, you know, like growing up. And then I think not too many people were familiar with the reboots afterwards, you know, in the late 90s and even in the uh, early 2000s. So exactly. Able... Yeah, it was just it wasn't the same thing after like. It was just a different market at that time. You know what I mean? The indies were really in like, a di it was a different place. You know what I mean? Like if you weren't WWE, you weren't necessarily going to be selling out giant shows. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? The indie wasn't a hot thing. It was like kind of more like, like low people who were in the neighborhood would kind of go see it. It wasn't like trendy, hipster, cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was right after, like when I started wrestling with Stampede, it was like 2001. So it was right after like the big bubble kind of burst and everyone was kind of getting into UFC and stuff like that. And so there wasn't a lot of fans like that. So we kind of like rode out the wave to where we are now, where it's cool again, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that was what kind of hurt uh, Stampede Wrestling reboots in that time. Just the era of wrestling not being its hottest. I mentioned it was 99. Uh, the I think their first show was the month before Owen's passing. Okay. So that was really a hard, like a huge hit on obviously the family. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the fan base, I don't know whether people in Calgary were really ready for Stampede Wrestling at that point. You know what I mean? The first show did so well in 99. And then after Owen's passing, I think it was kind of like a little bit of like, unfortunately, salt in the wounds. Kind of. I yeah. don't think people wanted to come to at that time. And which really, I don't know how, like, it was just horrible timing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mm -hmm. think if they'd never ran again, that would have been the, the right way to go. So, I don't mm -hmm. I think because of who's who's involved with Stampede Wrestling and with Owen's passing, it just it can take such a almost I don't want to say deflation, but it just it just stops everything, you know, like yeah. any possible momentum, and with understandably so. And then it's just even to rebound from that, it takes time. Totally. So. Yeah, you, you need to heal. You need to grieve, and uh, needs to be done right. So I think mm -hmm. that really hurt Stampede Wrestling, but there was still so many great times too you know what i mean like mm -hmm. we were able to the fact that they kept that heartbeat oh pun sorry about that i don't know <laughs> if i meant that or not but the fact that they were able to keep it going and mm -hmm. still produce such great talent that came out of like that next generation like i was saying like your tyson kids and your mm -hmm. natalia's and your davy boy smith juniors and and teddy hart and like there's so many different people rick victor and like so many people jack evans that came through mm -hmm. that system in the dungeon that yeah, I was fortunate enough to have them throw me around. So, like, very cool to be there. Yeah, I mean, you went from an excited, exciting kid, you know, like training. You're super stoked to be in there, and then you're getting to share the ring with people that you were watching on shows not too long earlier. Exactly. That must have been, you know, incredibly exciting for you. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. It still is. It still is. <laughs> I'm still that excited kid when I get to get into a ring with one of my heroes, mm -hmm. or like somebody I grew up watching on TV, like. 
I recently worked a match with Tom, or not recently because I haven't re worked a match in forever, <laughs> but I had worked Tommy Dreamer recently before this COVID thing. And then, yeah, that was great just being again in it. I still get those like big eyes and get giddy about being in there with a childhood hero. Mm -hmm, for sure. Now, do you have any moments that stood out to you when you did wrestle for Stampede Wrestling? Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, my first match for Stampede Wrestling, I didn't, um, I was borrowing gear. I didn't have gear yet. So what I had was, I don't know if you remember the outfits that Teddy Hart would wear. They were kind of like um, very flamboyant kind of, he had just custom clothes made for him that he would wear as ring gear, but he would also wear around. And it was at a point where like a lot of people were kind of wearing the same outfits and he was buying similar outfits for people. So I had to borrow a pair of pants from my friend that were like these huge, like wide leg, like I can't even show it on the screen, um, like zebra print like pants that were like fuzzies, all heck. And I, I wore them in my very first match at Stampede Wrestling against uh, mm -hmm. Hannibal, um, who's now I think the blood hunter, Devin Nicholson. Um, and... Yeah, the match did not go well. I remember my shoe came off halfway through, and I just, like, he was on the outside, and I just whipped it and hit him with my shoe, which I think I did before Conan, so I don't know if he owes me some money there or not. But uh, I just remember going to the back, and Ross Hart looked at me, and he said, you know, I normally like to start off with a compliment, but um, your match was shit, and uh, don't ever throw a shoe again. And uh, since that day, I've never thrown my shoe again. <laughs> It's it's the learning experience. Exactly, right? You got to learn. Um, but then I also wrestled, actually had the opportunity to wrestle Ross Hart on a couple of, up, a couple different situations. And he wrestled as Rory Hunter. Um, and he would he forgot to take off his watch one day. So he gave me this giant scar that I still have across my back just off of a lockup because his watch just scraped along my back. So, you know, he still was learning to not wear his watch during matches later <laughs> on, just like I was learning not to throw your shoe. <laughs> now, I mean, you got to learn from Bruce and Ross. And what what's it like taking in all that knowledge from those kind of guys who have so much history and they've, I mean, they're almost like an encyclopedia of wrestling considering they're from the Hart family. Yeah. Well, Ross, even beyond that, like he took it on himself to be a like a wrestling encyclopedia like he was always with growing up he was always the one that would be asking all the wrestlers questions and almost like a little reporter at the shows when he was a kid so he had like more knowledge about wrestling than i think canada might have and it's you know <laughs> so and then bruce has just comes from things from a different way like his, his mind is very very creative and comes from left field which i also come from left field so it was really the way he explained things were like some of the best ways I've ever heard things explained just because they were so simple mm -hmm. um, and almost guttural. Like sometimes he'd be quite disgusting in the verbiage that he'd use, quite graphic and in sexual nature and stuff like that. Um, but it was like things that like just made perfect sense. Like you could do if you had like the beautiful looking shooting star, let's say, but your arm breaks and everything else in the match looked terrible. He would say, you know, you, if you can have a filet mignon, but if you serve it up next to a pile of crap, no one's going to give a hell about the filet mignon. Mm -hmm. So points like that was just like, it was so clear and sunk in so quickly that it was awesome. And he was, I think he saw something in me because again, left field and knew that I'd probably be willing to go with some wilder ideas. Um, so he was always great to me. And it was awesome to just be there learning and soaking it in because I was mm -hmm. like definitely a sponge. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, soaking it in, and I'm sure to this day, it's still something like you, you said you shared the ring with Tommy Dreamer. 
you're you're taking all that in you're getting all the knowledge and everything you can from him it's like an always keep learning sort of thing for sure yeah like i don't know if you not if you stop learning then you're stop progressing and then mm-hmm. i don't know then it's downhill right then you're gonna just stop start forgetting too right like mm-hmm. i know that like wrestling takes its toll on your head and stuff like that so i've got to keep learning otherwise <laughs> you know it's gonna start coming down for sure <laughs> yeah so now one more thing about stampede Many people might not know this, but you were the final Stampede North American Heavyweight Champion. True. You're you go to the shows as you know a kid growing up, and you get you're the final champion. You are in the history books. Does that have a special meaning to you at all, or what's that like? Yeah, I, it it does, but it, it, it yeah it does mean a whole lot to me to be that final, the one who was given the championship at the final run. Um, but it also, I try and humble myself by remembering also, that means that the company went under while I was the champion. <laughs> so it, 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 like I said, it, I hold a great place in my heart, but it, I'm also humbled at the same time yeah. by it. So it's, yeah, I, I, but I love it. Like that was a, a great opportunity. And when I won it, I was able to give all the fans pizza. I had a thing going where it was like, when I win the championship, I'm going to buy the fans pizza. And then the night I won, we had pizza people come out and hand out slices to everybody. And like, so they, the fans went along with me and it was like really special moment. For sure. And I mean, yeah, like with the company eventually folding and everything, there is always that attached to it, but it's just, it's one of those things, I guess. So no, there has to be a champion at the time. And I, yeah, I just, I just say that mostly as a joke. Okay. Uh, I'm damn proud to be that last champion. And if someone wants to challenge me for it, I, it's all game. Bring it on. We could see the championship be brought back just off of this. Who knows? Yes. Who knows? Yeah, right. So how did Ravenous Randy Myers come to be? Ooh, like the name itself or the character or? The character. Okay. Um, It was slowly but surely like letting go of a character. So it was almost more showing more of me. You always hear that like turn yourself up to 11. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier about needing a place to like be allowed to be 110% kind of. And when I realized that wrestling could be that place for me, um, I I first went out trying to hide the things that I was ashamed of in my own character. Um, So it was like, I was trying to be extra, add extra machismo. I was trying to not show any of my feminine sides. I was trying to just be kind of like put on this air of like angry, untouchable wrestler, man. And then slowly over time, I started like the punk started slipping in more like the dying of my hair, which I had always done. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into wrestling, I decided I'm going to, I didn't want to turn anybody off. So I let my hair go normal. Uh, And then, so that slipped back in and then it was the punk kind of, and I realized I got more attention being truthful than I did not being truthful. Mm-hmm. And so then from there, it was kind of like I started opening up about other ends of my personality. And then when I, the biggest thing pivot was when I realized that I was like dealing with um, mental health issues mm-hmm. and that I wanted to go out and tell the fans the truth. I was kind of, I wanted to cut, a, I basically wanted to cut a promo where I was going to take some time off from wrestling. And I did mm-hmm. um, because I needed to find myself as a person, not hide behind a character or anything like that anymore. Yeah. And then as soon as I came out to the ring and did it in not in character, this promo, it was a different connection I had with the fans. It was, they started reaching out to me with their own stories of their struggles. 
Mm-hmm. Um, other wrestlers started reaching out to me with their struggles as well. And it was like, that had never happened to me before on a promo where I was trying to be funny or trying to be cool or trying to be the most angry guy or whatever. This was the time where I was being the most honest and truthful. And I felt the greatest connection and what I had been looking for all along from the mm-hmm. fans. So I took that time off and I realized that I wanted to focus my time when I came back on, you know, kind of speaking my mind and being more truthful and trying to have it be more, trying to have wrestling, which is my art form, be more connected to my soul and who I am and the messages that I want to get out there. So that's kind of the the birth and the growth of Ravenous Randy. And I don't even know where we're going to go from here mm-hmm. because I'd like, like we say, constantly evolving, you know, changing things up and learning new stuff. So I'm excited to see where wrestling takes me next because the characters evolved so much from the little seedling that it was into <laughs> this gorgeous bush that it is today. <laughs> Not that I have a gorgeous bush. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to see where we go next with it because the sky's the limit, you know? And the more I put myself out there, the more I realize there's room for me to put myself out there, mm-hmm. the more I discover my own self. And I mean, it, it has to be tough to show that side of you. And I mean, as soon as you open up and you be truthful and honest and stuff and the fans, they see that and it might, you know, open, it might allow them to, like you said, you know, they reached out to you. It almost, it's tough on your end because, you know, you have a a glutton of, you know, people expressing themselves at you, but it allows other people to be, you know, I'm having troubles too and allowed to open up about themselves and it's I know it's got to be tough or you know in the beginning and maybe even still is for yourself but then to know that you're helping other people too with any mental issues or mental anxiety or whatever it is to you know be like it's going to be okay yeah exactly and the hardest part isn't being open about it for me the hardest part is dealing with it all the time (laughs) You know, to be honest, like being when I am in the right place and to be able to be open about it, the feedback I always get is so positive and so loving that it's always, it's never been a negative to me. So Mm -hmm. at this point, I'm really fortunate for the fans that I've connected with and the friends that I've made along the way too, you know? And like mental health, I know that, you know, every year there'll be the big ish, big promotion by, you know, the, one telephone company you know the let's talk and i think it's it's important that it's not just one day it's talking every day you know like allowing people to know that it'll you know you know it's okay to talk about it you know being there for other people and just allowing people to know that they're not alone totally yeah like i think yeah, they have like a mental health month and they have like a mental health awareness day. And, but like this stuff happens all year round, just like every one of these causes that gets a month or a day, there's something mm-hmm. that we isn't just over in one day. It's mm-hmm. going to be, it's a constant uh, battle and, and struggle. And, but there's so many gifts that go along with it too. Like, I mm-hmm. think if you can find a way to properly manage your mental health that like, I truly believe that's where the greatest art comes from a lot of the time comes for me being able to think outside the box and stuff like that it just but you can't let it consume you you know what mm-hmm. i mean so it's it's a balancing act about that so but yeah we need to talk we need to realize we're not alone i think like 
I was thinking today about how, like, I call myself the weirdo hero. And uh, some people might think that's because, like, I can, I'm considering myself pansexual and I have mental health issues, but it's not me being open about my sexuality or being open about my mental health that, that, that makes me a weirdo. It, it's the being open about it. It's not having those things. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We all have sexuality. We all have mental health. You know what I mean? Me being weird is just because I'm willing to talk about it. And so I think we should all talk about it and let's all be weirdo heroes. I couldn't agree more. I think it's important to have those conversations to know, you know, that it's okay to, you know, like myself, I'm always there to talk or to check in if people need help. You know, it's, it's important to do that because everyone needs to feel welcome and to know that there's love there for everyone, that you're not alone and we're all here for each other exactly so, we're all we're all struggling like we're all in this like we're all in different boats but we're all in the same ocean you know mm -hmm. what i mean so it's rocky for all of us at times you if, know? if you see one of the boats going under you got to throw that life boat and help them out you know exactly. so, yeah. sort of thing so yeah, if you're floating on one piece of the titanic and there's room for two of you on that piece on the titanic you, you don't get, make that brown you get that second person on there exactly <laughs> you don't just go up there and look for an hour and call it quits <laughs> um you have been a fixture in canadian wrestling you've wrestled for ecc eccw you've wrestled for cwe um i mean stampede uh, pwa if i'm not mistaken yep. What's that like for you? Because you're in different markets, different cities. You're taking everything in. How do you how do you deal with that? Um, well, it, it's been like I've been wrestling for 20 years, right? So, mm -hmm. I, I, a lot of those things have they've been like kind of almost eras of my career. Like I was in Calgary, and then I do the Stampede scene originally, and then moved to doing Stampede and PWA. Then Stampede kind of folded. Then I was doing PWA. And I started doing like going out to Winnipeg for some tours. Then I started to CWE. Then I started coming out to Vancouver for some tours. And then I eventually moved to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, it's been great. It's been interesting to see how similar all these promotions are across Canada and that they have some of the same great like possibilities and then some of the same, like the same pluses and the same negatives. It's, and that's what I find kind of interesting is that uh i really feel that wrestling should be a bigger thing in canada mm -hmm. you know like we like I, I i could go on till my voice is hoarse about naming like successful canadian wrestlers um that are some of the biggest names in the industry you know whether it be like kevin owens or edge or bret hart or whoever we could go on forever mm. um and yet canada doesn't have it's in the like i know the east coast has some stuff going on but there's nothing really in the west coast or the prairies that's like CWE does its stuff, but like that one kind of thing that's almost like this, like a super indie, you know yeah. what I mean? Or like what happens kind of that you'll see in the States with mm -hmm. some of these promotions. And I think it's very doable in Canada um, to try and maybe have something that's really a showcase for us. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of having people say that, like, why aren't you moving to Japan? Or why don't you move here? And it's like, I have friends that are plumbers and I would never say well why don't you move to Japan or yeah. why don't you uproot your whole life and go somewhere else when why can't we have it here like mm -hmm. we have people here we have wrestling fans here we have wrestlers here it's just something that needs to maybe change shake up the system there needs to be something different um some of the things that have like turned off wrestling fans in the past maybe need to change 
and maybe some things that will bring in new wrestling fans need to happen. And Mm -hmm. I think there's totally room for that promotion. And I'm excited to see what post COVID brings to tell you the truth, because people have been definitely sitting on some eggs, I bet. And I know there's some great people who want to get into the business. And I think people also realize life's short. Let's Mm -hmm. fucking do it now. Before uh, I had something that I completely forgot because you had mentioned, um, uh, things be different, you know, what would you change about wrestling if there was something that you could do to make it better? Yeah. I'm going to ask you the same question too, right okay. afterwards. Um, I think safety is really important. When I say safety, I mean for like the performers as well as the fans, like there's been with all of that, like speaking out stuff, mm-hmm. uh, our fans have had and wrestlers alike have spoken up against different people that were positions of power within wrestling not in the states and in canada and all over the place that shouldn't be we for like i've I've no i know lots of wrestling fans who've been going to wrestling since they were young and female fans who have been like had some horrible propositions made to them when they were very young and are still fans to this day and are willing to like put up with all that nonsense because they love wrestling so much and we care so much about the safety of the people in the ring and let's be honest what we do in that ring is consentful. I'm not going to let somebody hit me in the head with a chair unless we talk about it in the back. Mm-hmm. So why can't we under, why can't consent be across the board? Why can't we treat people of different genders and different ethnicities and all these things just equally and, and, and make a place that's safe for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, I'm an art, I'm an art guy. Like I like theater. I like arts and stuff yeah. like that. So a lot of my friends are in that end of things. And some of them will look down at wrestling. And they don't necessarily see it as the art form that it is. Mm-hmm. And I think more we're getting to learn that. And like, I think wrestlers should be seen more as art. And I think that maybe bringing it to that level might be a way to kind of shake out the nonsense. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't care that it, he's your, that they're your friend. I don't mm-hmm. care. They don't get to be on the show if they're not trained. Yeah. You know, we've got to like, just, if we want to be professional wrestling, we got to treat it like professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, f- for myself, I mean, as a fan, the one thing that I know that I like, cause myself, I have very little impact besides being a fan. If there's something that I could change, it's that if I go to a show, I want to know that I could bring someone and they would feel comfortable there. There's many shows and it's, th- there's a lot of promotions that are changing how they do it, you know? I want to know that if I bring someone that they're not going to hear, you know, other fans saying stuff that will upset them, you know, whether it's derogatory or racial or sexist, there's no room for that. And I think that it's something that all fans should come together and it's, you put a stop to it. It shouldn't be allowed. If someone's doing that, you kick them out. It should be a welcome space that anyone who wants to go and enjoy it should feel welcome. hundred percent. We've why when we have such I couldn't agree more when we have such a small wrestling is very niche to begin with so why mm-hmm. are we turning off the people that we do bring in mm-hmm. you know what I mean like uh, I was raised around a lot of like my mom's friends were all a group of gay males in Calgary mm-hmm. and I know that they were very like alienized like picked on and alienized from their from their from the community not the gay community but from just the community as a whole in Calgary and so things like wrestling feel like it's going to be a place where they're not welcome. Mm-hmm. 
and that's hard to get through to them and it's hard so that's really part of my mission is to try and make people feel more comfortable at wrestling and to let you know that you're safe there too what you were saying is things that should be everywhere you're talking mm -hmm. about morals you're talking about i can't go to a movie and start shouting out racial slurs and think that's okay you know mm -hmm. what i mean or like sexist stuff or what i'm gonna do to the actor or actress in the movie like you can't do that so let's just, just be, be part of society just because you've had a beer or two and you're at a, a, a indie wrestling show doesn't mean that you can you know be hateful towards whoever's in the ring even if you're trying to be funny because nobody's laughing and I don't feel comfortable. Like I've had instances where I've brought someone and then people are yelling stuff. You try to get, you know, security or whatever to do something and they don't. And then, okay, now we're going to leave because we're not having fun with this. Totally. You know, it's inappropriate. Why wouldn't I want to keep you two rather than keep the jerks that are like, yeah, I, I don't get that. So I think mm -hmm. that that is, I agree, a big change. And I don't know, hopefully we see something like that in the near future. Like when, things come back because it wrestling's for all of us you know what mm -hmm. i mean we can't do without the fans fans can't do without the wrestlers the wrestlers can't do without the people who set up the ring like it's just everybody we're all there together to put on the show mm -hmm. i've been doing stuff over zoom and without an audience <laughs> woof so <laughs> i i miss it so much mm -hmm. uh, the one thing i've realized working in the states and with the fi wrestling is that Unfortunately, there's a lot, like, I feel that that's where I've been able to grow the most and be the most open about my sexual orientation, because I felt like growing up in Calgary, that was definitely the, the heels were always the ones who were, you know, not necessarily straight or mm -hmm. not always. That wasn't always the thing. But if you were not straight, you were seen as an other. Right. And how many times have I had things yelled at me and probably been the one who had the thing yelled at, which made other people like you want to leave? Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Just because the fan thought it was okay for them to yell that at me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I wasn't able to do that in Canada, unfortunately. And I, and I, and I don't know why that is. Um, and Vancouver's obviously I find more progressive and maybe it was me a place where I was at at that time too. I'm not blaming everything, but I know that like, I was already feeling like I was going to be um, harassed and I was in growing up in school and stuff like that for be, coming across as a feminine and I was never wanting to show that in wrestling and yet people could still see through it and that was the thing that they would jeer me about and I've been to shows in the states obviously too where there's like stuff like that being yelled at hurled at mm -hmm. me as well but having a place like Defy where I, I just would love for things to be more like that it feels so inclusive and such like a family atmosphere a dysfunctional family, but a loving <laughs> family, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The same. And I think that there's totally room for that. And I think that's where we need, we've had the attitude era, which mm -hmm. was like the, like pushing boundaries and being gross and not, and judging people and all that. So what about the opposite? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I think that's where we're moving now. You know what I mean? Wrestling is, we're always going to want to see action. You know what I mean? It's naturally ingrained in us to see action. So for us to have this safe place where we can, be contained and do action safely and people can take it in safely and mm -hmm. everyone goes home happy. It's hopefully, you know, you mentioned, you know, COVID's hopefully we're on the tail end and shows start happening again. Mm -hmm. I know like I'm in a group chat and like all of us, we can't wait till we can go see shows again. Like awesome. 
in Winnipeg, there's, you know, I think four different promotions and I'm like, I'm counting down, like, when's the first time I can go and see, you know, a show here because I'm, I'm just, I'm jonesing to go see live wrestling, you know, so to (laughs) to be there and with the fans and see everything, you know, I think it'll just be a, 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 I don't want to say magical, but it'll be a moment, you know, like, just like, we're here, we're here, so. (laughs) Yeah, I think that first lockup. Um, it's going to be just like, oh my God, my heart will be like, oh. <laughs> it'll be like that long hug, you know, when you see in like movies where they're running through the airport and that slow motion hug, it'll yeah. be lock up and I might just start crying. <laughs> I mean, I've taught, like I've made friends with, you know, people in different states and stuff via this podcast. And like, I've already, we've already talked about like, yeah, when borders are open, like I'm going to come down there and check out some shows. So like, let's, let's do this. Let's see what it's all about. So exactly. Just, it should be a. I'm. I can't say enough how excited I am for it. So. I can tell. Yeah, I think we're both the type to get kind of excited. So that's a good thing. You mentioned Defy. Now, last February, you became the Defy champion. Yep, longest reigning. No defenses. <laughs> Let's talk about that match. What was that like for you? Oh, it was. It was incredible because I Defy brought me back from that place of depression basically i needed to i was still dealing with my mental health issues when i started like i went i saw defy put was putting on a show and i'm like i'm gonna go down and watch this as a fan and i was so taken back by the level of professionalism and just like the the vibe in the building it was mm-hmm. so cool that i was like it just like stirred me up again you know what i mean like the mafia they pulled me back in <laughs> and then i started doing some shows for them and then right away i was like finding these new wrinkles to my character and being more flamboyant and being bigger than I'd ever been. Like I wasn't turned up to 11. I was turned up to 13 for the first time. And it Mm -hmm. was like, breathe new life into me. Um, And so I, I honestly can't say enough good things about the people who run defy and the defiance, the fans themselves, the it's what I've always wanted. Like Mm -hmm. when I was young and could pictured what wrestling could be, and then I've gone to this promotion and it's been great for these reasons, but not been great for those reasons, you know? Yeah. And then finally I get to the place where I'm not saying they're perfect because nothing is, but mm-hmm. I was, my eyes were opened up and I was like, Oh, there, there's people who are making mistakes. Like we all do, but their hearts in the right place mm-hmm. and they want to fix those mistakes. Yeah. They want the best. And I've seen that energy just kind of change. Like I've never felt that at wrestling before. And it's like, it reminds me so much of like when I watched ECW as a kid and there was like that, like kind of a- anarchy, but there was that angriness where I feel like defies like the sweet side. Like it's like their sweet little sister or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just it's that same family atmosphere that they would, you know, do anything for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking, they've kicked out fans. One fan who was heckling me, there was just like get the F out chant. And I didn't even know what had happened. And then the fan was ejected from the building by the fans. Mm-hmm. So like this can stuff can happen, right? Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, that match was a night of like the promotion that I've always wanted, giving me the ultimate nod. And the crowd was right there behind me. And like I, no kayfabe at all. I was like, that match, Shaft is a big boy, and he was throwing me around pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like eight German suplexes or something like that in that match, and that was more than enough. And, <laughs> but it was like, like I could, I needed the fans. Like, mm-hmm. 
it's so cheesy, but it, I needed that extra, like it's a shot of adrenaline. It is anyone who's been in front of an audience that's kind of giving so much of themselves to you. You can feel that energy inside you. And mm -hmm. that's what gave me the energy to pull through that match because otherwise I'd have been toast. Um, and then winning was like an incredible moment. I brought all the fans in the ring and that was like being that that was the last show before COVID. And I was able to be that close to that many people sharing something we love. Mm -hmm. I, I, that, that was like, I couldn't think of a better way. Like it was almost like a movie ending, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then we'll see where it goes from here. But yeah, it's, it means the most to me out of any championship I've ever won. I saw some, some, just some pictures from the event and it like the, the look on your face, the, the joy, it, it, you could feel it through the pictures, you know, just like the happiness. And it's so exciting to see someone just like the appreciation and everything involved with it. So it was just, it was lovely to see. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that, friend. And I was, I mean, I was looking at some of the matches that you wrestled for Define. Like, I mean, you faced Tom Lawler there. And I mean, it's just like the fact that you're you, you're coming down from uh, BC, if I'm not mistaken, to wrestle for them. And it's like you show up and it's like, oh, you're facing Tom Muller. And it's like knowing that they have that trust in you, it's just like it brings you up even more, I imagine. Totally, he does. And like one of the people working there is Matt Farmer, who's behind the scenes. And how we met was just I got I was at a friend's birthday party. Some one of the, with a bunch of wrestlers. One of the wrestlers got a call to do some shows in the states with the Nasty Boys. They couldn't do the shows, so I took the booking. And then they're like, "Oh, you're gonna need to pick up some wrestlers along the way." One of them was Matt Farmer. We made friends, and then like you never know how these kind of connections will end up getting you where you go. You know, he wasn't running a promotion at that time. Years later, I end up working with him. He remembers working with me, and so yeah, like you never just good messages to be nice to people along the way and you never know where it'll get you you know for sure all the people i've worked with at defy have been so cool like i worked with uh like john morrison who was super cool he let me like mm -hmm. steal his wedding ring and throw it into the audience and stuff so like it was <laughs> Tao was backstage and she just stormed out like shoot stormed out super pissed <laughs> at that moment and it was like i was losing my mind so the opportunities they've given me to work with these cool people have been awesome that that's really incredible and it's i'm i mean i'm happy to see that you know it's nice to see because you you're someone who doesn't take it for granted you appreciate it and it's you know even just talking to you like you know like we're sitting here watching each other it's like the smile on your face talking about it it's you know it's infectious you know so it's just it's really nice to see that's all i'm glad i'm infectious in that way for a change <laughs> <laughs> now in 2015 you had well i mean before that you had written the weirdo hero yes and i was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit so that came about basically off of that depression promo that i was telling you about mm -hmm. uh, another wrestler came to me and told me that he was suffering as well and so we kind of met for like to talk over our our stuff at denny's kind of reach out to each other and, and then we kind of he came up with the idea of like maybe trying to turn it into a story like mm -hmm. a movie so we kind of pitched ideas around for a bit and found ourselves a director who ended up being like fresh off doing visual effects for Supernatural, mm -hmm. Ryan Curtis. So he had like all these incredible connections, mm -hmm. which makes the movie look very beautiful. Uh, and then it just kind of all fell into place. We originally like applied for like to be part of um, to get grants from a from the government or for a film 
thing that was coming up and it didn't work out. But then we did an Indiegogo campaign mm-hmm. and people, they like came out and supported so much. And then, so we were able to fund the movie just mostly on Indiegogo. And then from there made this like really cool web series, which is called the Weirdo Hero web series, which you can find on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and another like rad checkboard that I got across off, like growing up, um, Roger Rabbit was always my favorite movie. So the idea of being able to be in a movie with a cartoon bunny, which this movie has, um, interacting with me and kind of it's a story about my own depression, an off story of mine, because um, that's the way we went with it. I mm-hmm. wanted to be, I wanted to go places I didn't have that weren't authentic with the story. So I didn't want to do it as Ravenous Randy. So we came up with a fabulous Frankie character, which is a thin, thin veil. Um, but yeah, so it was a great opportunity to do that and work with some really cool people. And again, like share my story with maybe some people who wouldn't know it from wrestling, who wouldn't normally come to a wrestling show and maybe mm-hmm. to show that there's more to wrestling than just. I, I imagine that the response from the film was overwhelming. Yeah, it really was. I was like, I went in with it, like the silly belief, like if I can help if one person likes it, I'll be happy. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, like a lot of people came and still are coming and still finding it and telling me that it, it like helped them through some, some things. And I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I'm really damn proud of what we made. And that, like I said, I think it's helped more than one person. So that's a win. Do you know if it's streaming anywhere that people can access it from, you know, any of the online services or is it? It's just YouTube. Just, just YouTube. You, it, the, so, yeah. Okay, it is up on YouTube. Okay, totally. I, I kind of that was kind of they wanted. There was a time where they were, we were pushing to get it on streaming services, but they weren't super interested. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it was kind of looking like it was maybe going to go into some production hell. And so I really pushed for this story. Like we'd already been paid; everything was already paid up. We didn't mm-hmm. need money back from it. So, and I wanted it to be seen by the most people possible. And I'm. My punk rock ethos was like, make it as cheap as possible on YouTube. So took some fighting, but that's where we ended up putting it up. I will make sure that uh, after I, I post this uh, up on the Twitter and everything that I also link to it so that people can easily find it because I think that it's important to get it out there and to share it with everyone. So. Cool. Thank you, friend. No problem. So now, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, tail end of COVID, what is next for you? Or what do you hope to be able to do this year? Well, I think, I don't know. I think I kind of already let the cat out of the bag a bit with what my hopes and dreams are for Canadian wrestling. Mm -hmm. We need this. You know what I mean? We need a place for Canadian talent to be, get some exposure. Mm -hmm. We need something where it can be treated properly. I want to give back. I've been wrestling for, for 20 years. I, can't wrestle for 20 more um i want to give back at this moment i want to build up the next generation of weirdo heroes i want to try and find who those people are encourage them see where they can take the sport and the art sorry to the next level you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'd love to i'd love to get it recognized as an art by the canadian government mm-hmm. that would be like a great thing to do i'd love to get wrestlers to be subsidized for like being artists you know what yeah. i mean what we do we deserve art grants just as much as anyone else. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to get a grant from the government proving that wrestling is an art and then kind of moving, seeing what we can do from there to kind of maybe help out with, you know, like, like a promotion where 
it's got the heart in the right place and we're giving back to the community mm-hmm. and trying to grow the future of wrestling, not trying to take any steps back. Mm-hmm. You know, I think having something like that in Canada would do wonders because sometimes you'll, I know you've shared the ring with uh, Artemis Spencer mm. and you know, the first I had ever heard of him was a friend of mine in Vancouver. I talked about him. And then the first time I ever saw him wrestle was when he was down in PWG. Oh, but yeah. to think that if you had something like that in Canada, where these incredibly talented wrestlers could, you know, wrestle there and more people could be exposed to them and not just, you know, the off chance of word of mouth or picking up a DVD, but possibly seeing it in their own backyard. Exactly. Exactly. So, that's, no, and that's just it. Like, I think you could say the same for, like, a guy like Phantasmal. Mm-hmm. He was out here forever, just kind of, like, not, I don't want to say wasting away, but it was just he wasn't getting the exposure that he deserved. People like Nicole Matthews, all these mm-hmm. people that are like, where have these people been? Oh, my goodness. And, like, even me, when I go down to, like, somewhere just as close as Seattle, and they're like, think I've been wrestling for three years because they've never heard of me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I've been wrestling for so long. There's so much talent, like, um mrb in in edmonton who's been like pledging away forever and he's just so incredibly good and then there's students like judas icarus out here and Mm -hmm. travis williams and stuff who are just incredible like up-and-coming talent that like i don't want it to take so long for them to birth to like break you know what i mean because i've seen so many so many people just give up because they didn't have opportunities and they had to they basically Mm -hmm. had to give up because of that right phone's ringing um <laughs> yeah they had they just and then i don't want that to happen to anyone else i want to see like i think canada's talent across the board whether it be music whatever art form entertainment isn't really showcased properly mm-hmm. and i can't do anything about that but they do something about his wrestling so mm-hmm. well i'm hoping that you know from you know when stuff is able to we're allowed to go to shows and that that more people will be able to we can sort of maybe bring something like this to life and to actually have it happen because I think it would only, it would benefit everyone and it would make it, you know, more accessible and just to allow the artists to show themselves. That's just it, right? Yeah. I think that there's a way to make wrestling really the art form it is and to kind of like, kind of maybe break some new ground with that. So I'd like Mm -hmm. to see where we can push that and just because I think giving more people the opportunities, more equality, more people of color, more people on the LGBTQ spectrum, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Genders of all, frienders of all genders, I don't care what it is, you know, like let's let's bring more people in and like share our love for wrestling. Definitely. Now, I mean, you're fully invested in wrestling when you're not wrestling. How else do you like to spend your time? Like what what else are you doing in your life? Last night they did a stand-up comedy show mm-hmm. where we did like it was called Rib Rib Your Crib. So I showed pictures of my house, which isn't so pretty, and that's why you got the blue background. <laughs> um, and then we kind of like we razzed each other on it, like we roasted each other's apartments, which was my first roast. But it was so much like wrestling that I thought it was really cool. It's basically like promos. We're giving each other like an opportunity to kind of be crappy towards each other. You know what I mean? Do things that you wouldn't. If there was no consent, there's not. That's not cool. But because we're like letting it be okay, it felt like I took on one of my friends. So felt like I had the first wrestling match in a long time last night. <laughs> um, so I've been doing that, um, trying to do like write comedy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's always been a passion of mine. So 
a film has been another passion. So there's maybe some stuff coming down the pike there. Nice. And art all the time. Like I'm a very multifaceted ADD individual. So um, yeah, I'm working on some new outfits for when I come back to the ring. I've got some art for sale up on my Instagram account. And yeah, that's, and then fitness. I just did my, what I call the Theo 1000, because my personal trainer, Theo, likes to put me through a thousand reps a day. <laughs> now, you mentioned the Instagram. Here's a chance. Where can people get a hold of you? How can they see this artwork? Okay, I'm at the Weirdo Hero on Instagram. You can find me at Randy Myers on Facebook and Ravenous Randy on Twitter. Randy, thank you so much for joining me. I honestly, I had a blast. And I mean, after I get, after we're done here, I'll be like grinning ear to ear and I'll be so excited about this, but Wonderful. thank you so much. Awesome. I appreciate it. My dimples hurting too. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and check out the Weirdo Hero. Check out the Weirdo Hero on YouTube. Definitely. I will make sure that that gets retweeted out there. Thank you so much to Ravenous Randy Myers for joining the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast today. Honestly, I had an absolute blast. It was an honor to have him on to be able to talk wrestling with him. He he's just he's got a great mind. A, he's an incredible person and just an all around good human. And you know, I think uh, that's really important nowadays. So it was it was a blast talking wrestling with him. Thank you also to all of you for listening. Um, I know I tweeted it out a couple days ago that you know it's just uh, I really appreciate everyone who's listened who's you know retweeted out episodes or interacted with the podcast i from the bottom of my heart i truly appreciate it with things you know seemingly getting better in winnipeg with you know the vaccines and things opening up i'm hoping that shows are just around the corner and that i can continue bringing you more local stuff on top of all of the other you know worldwide stuff that i already do so I'm I'm more than happy to always promote the local Winnipeg stuff. So, you know, please keep, you know, interacting on Twitter, on Twitter, retweeting. I appreciate it. You know, if you know someone who might like the podcast, send it over to them. You know, I it would be my pleasure. So thank you once again to all of you for listening. If you are listening and aren't on, you know, are on Twitter and haven't reached out yet at GrainmakerPod on Twitter. You can send me an email, GrainmakerPodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, we're on, I'm on up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast. This is hosted through Podbean. So if you want, you can just reach at it through Podbean. So thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Until next time, have a good one.